Thanks for joining us today. We love to hear how God is using this ministry in your life. So we encourage you to share your story with us at info at Also, if God is using this ministry to impact you, we want to encourage you to partner with us financially. You can do that online at fellowshipgj.com and pick the giving option that works best for you. And help us continue to bring the message of Christ to our community and beyond. Again, thanks for joining us and enjoy today's message. There's nothing more precious as a parent than hearing your child sing a song to God. Maybe you got your grandkid or your kid in the backseat of the car and the song comes on the radio and they just belt it out. And you can tell when your child is singing that they're connecting with God. That is a precious moment as a parent that you want to hold on to forever. Recently, I tucked our four and a half year old son, Azariah, into bed. And um, I actually did it 23 times um, in one night. Um, so I don't want you to get a false impression. Like what happened was I tucked him in bed and then he got out. I had to go to the bathroom. Then I tucked him in bed. Then he had to get a drink. Then he drank too much. So he had to go to the bathroom again. And then there were like 17 completely pointless questions that kind of built up that could have easily waited till tomorrow, next week, next month, when he was 30. It really wouldn't have mattered. But finally, I tucked him into bed and he stayed in bed for a few minutes. And then I hear this tiny little squeaky voice and he's singing a song to God. And later I asked him what it was about and he said that he had spooked himself. He had laid in bed and he had gotten himself scared about something and he was singing the chorus to this song. Sometimes in the dark of night, in the depth of our soul, we just need to sing a song to ourselves to speak that truth down into us. And sometimes singing that song that's the truth of God's word and letting that wash over you will do more than any sermon. They'll do more than talking about that same fear with a friend over coffee another time. Sometimes just singing that song and doing what the psalmist said that says, I tell myself to praise the Lord. I tell myself to praise the Lord will automatically begin to change our circumstances. Friends, the truth is that we have an enemy. We have an enemy and he isn't playing. And that's why life feels like a fight sometimes. Pastor Hooper just wrapped up the three-part series that's Here Comes Your Comeback. And it resonated with so many of us. And here's why. Because we feel it. Because we feel the fight in our marriages. We feel the fight in our family. We feel the fight as we're raising our kids. We feel the fight as we earn the income. We're in a battle and we can feel it. And as children of God, we're not fighting against other people. We're not fighting against family members or coworkers or crazy moms on the side of the soccer field. We're not fighting against people. We're fighting against spirits and principalities in unseen places. That's why Jesus said in John 10, 10, he said, the thief who we know to be the devil, the thief has come to steal, kill, and destroy. But I have come that you might have life and life to the fullest. One of the greatest lies the enemy, the devil tries to sell God's people is that he's not real. And it blew my 
my mind when in 2016, George Barna Research Group came out with a survey and they extensively study Christian environments and ask people questions about spirituality and all manner of religion and Bible, all religion worlds, world religions, and it's fascinating data. And they put out a massive study in 2016 that specifically asked the question of Christian adults, how many of you believe in the devil? And I was shocked to find 65% of Christian adults say they don't believe that the devil is real. They, they, they strongly disagree with that theory or they disagree with it. And they believe that either evil exists in an abstract manner or doesn't really exist at all. 65%. That is brilliant strategy from the devil. Absolutely brilliant strategy. Could you imagine if our country, if it was like World War II and our country was in the middle of like that war for like trying to prevent world domination and 65% of American adults said Hitler is not real or I don't believe in Germany at all. Like, I'm not going to teach my son or train my son for war because I, I just don't believe in Hitler. Are you kidding me? Like, that would have been a guaranteed loss for America. If we don't understand and we don't believe that we have an enemy, we will never be prepared to fight. We will never be armored up. We'll never have a strategy. We'll never know how to go into battle and come out victorious. But if we recognize that we have an adversary, and if we recognize that the word of God gives us strategies to put up our defenses, to go into the battle and to fight and to be victorious every time, then we win. It is so important that we do not think of the devil as like this woo, weird cloud of evil out there somewhere in the world, but that we recognize he is what the Bible says that he is. Now, I'm not trying to scare people with talk of the devil. The devil's not the opposite of God. God alone is all-powerful and all-knowing. The devil is not God's equal. In fact, in the spiritual hierarchy of things, God alone. And then distantly beneath were three archangels that were created by God. Gabriel, you've heard about him in the Bible quite a bit. He brings messages a lot. Then you hear about Michael, who was a warring angel. And um, you hear about him coming to the rescue of Daniel and all kinds of other stuff. And then the third archangel, way distantly below God, was Lucifer. And he was responsible for leading worship in heaven. And he's the one that fell. And he's the one that we refer to now as the devil. So no one ever thinks, oh, I'm, I need like Michael's support on this. Or, or I'm really concerned about G Gabriel. Well, those are the equals to the devil. Okay? Gabriel, Michael, and Lucifer were equals. The devil has no standing next to our God. He alone rules and reigns, but the devil is a pesky bully that we have to deal with while we're here on earth who keeps coming after us. I remember being in elementary school, and just like every elementary school, um, our school had a bully. And our bully's name was Brian McFavory. And I hope, Brian, that you listen to this and come to know Jesus. But in elementary school... <laughs> 
He was very mean. He was cruel. He was a jerk. He was always picking on somebody. And one particular day, it was my turn. And I don't remember the circumstances, but I remember I was angry and I was embarrassed. And I came home and I, I got my dad and I said, Dad, this Brian McFavory and he did this and blah, blah, blah. And I was so mad and I was so embarrassed. And my dad, he listened patiently to my nine-year-old rants. And then he asked a question. He said, do you think Brian knew you were mad? And I was like, do you think he knew I was mad? Of course he knew I was mad. I was so mad. And my dad gently interrupted and he said, wait a second, wait a second. You can never let a bully see you sweat. You can't let them know that they're getting to you. That's where you lose. And then he went on to explain that right, wrong, or otherwise, a bully will always look for a reaction. And don't give them a reaction, they usually quickly move on to someone who will give that reaction. And the devil is just like that. He's just like it. He's a playground bully. He picks an issue in your life and mine. And he picks and he picks and he picks until he provokes a reaction. If we give him a reaction, he's like, oh good. And he's going to keep picking right in that same spot. But if we go and we refuse to pay him any mind and we ignore him, then he moves on. He moves on to the next issue, the next hot button, the next temptation, or hopefully the next person. The devil is a playground bully who's looking to provoke a reaction out of God's people. But we can never let the devil see us sweat. As children of God, we don't have this knee-jerk reaction to the enemy. We don't, we don't just fly off the handle and get all emotional and freak out about the things that are going on in our life. We don't react to the devil, but we can respond. And response is good. Response is a specific, strategic plan to come against that attack. And the Lord gives us a ton of responses in the Bible. And that's why the Bible says in 1 Peter chapter 5, it says, Stay alert. Watch out for your great enemy, the devil. He prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. He's the playground bully and he's playing for keeps. And so one of his specialties is to use fear. That's one of the things he likes to do to try to catch God's people. And if you were to ask someone walking around a room and just say, hey, do you have any fears or any phobias? They're going to throw out really easy stuff like, yes, I'm afraid of spiders. They terrify me or snakes or heights or something like that. And those are fears, but that's not really the kind of fear that I'm talking about this morning. I'm talking about if you could get real with someone when they ask you that question, and you could actually honestly say what haunts you deep inside, the thing that you're really afraid of. And maybe that's the fear of failure. Or maybe that's the fear of, of losing respect or of things not getting better. Or maybe for you, that fear is the fear of change. You're just terrified that something's going to change. Maybe the fear is of breaking up or being stuck or the fear of the future in general. Maybe your fear is the fear of someone you love deeply making a horrible choice and destroying their life. Maybe your fear is not being good enough, not being capable. Maybe the fear is being obsolete, not being needed, or fear of being rejected or left alone, fear of not getting married. These are the real fears in life. Spiders, just step on it, y'all. <laughs> Sometimes 
we can fall into a trap of not even realizing that we're being racked with fear because fear is also sneaky. It sneaks into our lives and it hides. It disguises as something slightly more acceptable than admitting we're afraid as adults. It, it hides as worry. And sometimes it disguises as daydreaming. Or sometimes we trick ourselves into believing, oh, no, no, I'm not afraid. I'm just thinking about things. I'm just problem solving. That's the fancy acceptable term. But at the core of that, what we're really doing is obsessing. We're stressing. We're imagining every ridiculous possible scenario and outcome that could really ever occur. And we're getting worked up and anxious and downright fearful. But we don't call it that because that's not cool. So we call it something more acceptable. The Bible says in Job chapter 3, What I have always feared has happened to me. What I dreaded has come true. That lets us know that the idea of fear can be very powerful if it's not checked in our life. Earlier this year, my dad passed away unexpectedly. And he, he suffered a massive heart attack while on vacation in Arizona. And the call that he had slipped from this world into the next, it rocked me to my core. Like I didn't expect it at all. And the first several weeks were overwhelming. Immediately trying to travel to my hometown, uh, talking to the coroner in the Dallas airport, arguing about whether my dad's body needed an autopsy, dealing with finding a church in Wisconsin that would allow me to perform my father's funeral, to taking care of my mom, to taking care of my dad's multiple businesses and taking fiscal responsibility to pay all the bills and, and everything that went into it. I mean, it was overwhelming and it was shocking. And one day, for me, everything was fine. And then the next day, my dad was dead. And I started to really be afraid. If a phone call could unsettle so much in my life, if one phone call could change so much and cause me to lose so much, I began to wonder what could possibly happen tomorrow that would rock my world again. What event is going to happen next that's going to overwhelm me or take away so much? My friend, who's the child therapist, she, she turned this experience as a complex trauma. And my other friend, who's a pediatrician, said I was in shock. But as a pastor, I know what happened was that I let fear take root in my heart. I know that that fear of loss, the fear of tomorrow, the fear of being inadequate as I was trying to run my dad's businesses and sell them off, these were attacks sent to me by the enemy to capitalize on my weakened state. The devil doesn't let you take a bereavement leave. He doesn't go easy on you because you're struggling with something else. The bully looks for the weak. The bully looks for the wounded. The bully looks for the isolated, and that's when he pounces the hardest. And having just lost my dad, that is the kind of dad that every kid wishes that they could grow up with, I had a choice to make, faith or fear. And in that, in that moment, my job is to respond and not to react, to never let the devil see me sweat to respond by pressing into God, to respond by putting on my armor, to respond by getting up and fighting. My job was to engage my faith 
even though if I didn't feel like it, and faith it until I make it. And some days I crushed it, and other days, not so much. But I learned some really deep truths. And now I know that I don't need to fear tomorrow because I know my God holds tomorrow. And whatever may come, it's got to pass through his hands. Friends, the truth is that the quicker we make our peace with the thing that we think is our worst fear, the less likely it will be that we have to walk through it. Our Heavenly Father does not want us to be haunted by thoughts, by anxiety, by stress, or by fear. And that's why he, he said that we're his children, we're his sons and daughters. Romans 8.15 says this, You have not received a spirit of fearful slaves. Instead, you received God's spirit when he adopted you as his own children. Now you call him Abba, Daddy, Father. The devil, he can't create anything. He does not have creative power. Only God can create something from nothing. And as human beings, we're made in the image of God. So we are given this beautiful gift of creating. We can create, we can create through the arts, through music. We can create engaging our brain. We have creative power, but the devil, he doesn't have that. So what he does is he grabs hold of something that's already created and he twists it. Because that's all he can do. So let me give you an example. So an example is that God's gift is he gives you a family that you deeply love. So you have a family that you love deeply, and that's a gift from God, and you know it, and you, you're just so excited about your family. The devil will take that gift, and he'll try to twist it and stick fear in the middle of it. And he'll twist it to say something like, there's a fear that something's going to happen to them. So God gives you the gift, and the devil tries to make a twist on that gift. God gives you the gift of work ethic. And you know, man, I, I love to work hard. I love to set goals. I love to accomplish things. And so God has given you the gift of work ethic. Well, the devil, he tries to take that and twist it so that you feel this sense of fear and panic. If I don't overwork, if I'm not constantly working, then I'm not going to have financial stability for my family, and it's going to be a mess. And so then all of a sudden, you miss out on everything with your kids growing up because you, of the gift God gave you, the devil took hold of and he twisted it. God gives another gift. He gives us the gift of health. And so we have this gift of health and we're feeling good. And all of a sudden, and this is a, a thing for women, most often I see, we, we get like a little symptom and then we go on WebMD and we, we try to like be our own doctor, right? And then, and then all of a sudden the little symptom is like a giant malignant tumor that's living on our entire face. It just gets out of control. And so we have the gift that God gave us of health. And then the devil tries to twist the gift of our health to make us so afraid that we're going to lose our health at any given time. God gives us a gift of a sense of worth or value or identity in Christ. And the devil twists that and he makes us think that we're never worth enough. You see how he does that? He has no ability to create within us, but he can take something God has already created and he can twist it so it can be used against us. And what we have to do is say, no, 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 not today, devil. And don't let him grab hold of the gifts that God's put in our life and don't let him twist those things against us. 2 Timothy chapter 1, uh, verse 7 in the NIV says, for God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of power, love, and a sound mind. Now this verse gives us three weapons against fear. Right there in the second half, it says power, 
love, and a sound mind. And I tell you that those three things are a weapon that you can use as a day, on a daily basis as a regular son or daughter of God to combat the spirit of fear so that you are not constantly underneath it. And what we do is we look at each of those things and we unpack them a little bit. So I want to talk about this because this is so cool. I want to read it in the Passion Translation. It says, for God has not given you a spirit of fear. This is the same verse. But the Holy Spirit who gives you. So all these things come to us because the Holy Spirit lives inside of us and he gives us power, love, and self-control. And the reason that matters is because I'm not using my own power, my own love, and my own self-control or sound mind to overcome my problems. My stuff is not good enough. There's not enough in me. I don't have enough strength to overcome. But this verse gives me the promise that I'm tapping into the power of Christ, the love of Christ, the soundness of mind of Christ is what's living in me. And that's how I'm overcoming the spirit of fear. So I have Christ's power, Christ's love, Christ's soundness of mind in me. I have the resolve of Christ. As he loved the cross up the hill of Calvary, the mental fortitude that it took to do that, I have that living in me. And that's what overcomes the spirit of fear. And so let's unpack that there's three weapons. The first one's power. In Christ, we have the physical strength. We have the physical strength. This word in the original language literally means strength, power, ability, mighty work, miracle, and might. So we have the miracle working power of Christ to overcome anything that comes against us. Nothing can defeat us. Not because we're so strong, but because he's so strong. So you can recover. You can be healed. You can lose the weight. You can get the job done. You can keep up with the grandkids. We can do all these things because God gave us the power of Christ living inside of us. Romans 8:11 just blows my mind. It says, Tell that the same power that lives in us is the power that rose Christ from the grave. That power lives in us. And so when fear attacks, all we have to do is recognize that within us, within Christ, within us, that we have that power and ability because of our relationship with Jesus to withstand any attack that could arise. So that first weapon that we have is power. The second weapon we have is love. And in that we have, in Christ, we have the emotional stability. We have the emotional stability to withstand anything. Because we belong to Christ, no weapon formed against us will prosper. We can be confident and resolute that we are loved, wanted, that we belong, that we're worthy, that we're deserving in him. We don't have to fear that anything could possibly unsettle us. No one gave us this stability. No one gave us this love except God himself. So no one, no problem, no test, no trial, no circumstance of life could possibly take this away. If God is the one who imparted it, then only God has the power to keep or remove it. If God seated you at the table as a son or as a daughter, then no one can take away your place at the table. God says you are seated, you are worthy, you are deeply valued, you are treasured, you are the apple of his eye. God says these things about us. And because God says it, even if the earth quakes and life shakes you down, it cannot and does not change your standing with God. You are loved. So we have power, 
We have love. And thirdly, we have a sound mind. A sound mind. In Christ, we have the mental capacity. We've been given the mind of Christ. Through the Holy Spirit, we have the ability to know what to do, when to do it, how to do it. It's all there. It literally says this in the Bible. In 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 16, says, we have the mind of Christ. I never really thought about what that meant before. I never really unpacked that. But as I was studying for this message, I was like, that's pretty awesome. We have the mind of Christ. What does that actually give us? Well, if you read the Gospels, you'll see that Jesus always knew what to do. Like he was in some crazy circumstances. And yet you never see him sweat. You never see, well, I guess drops of blood in the garden. All right, you see him sweat. But you never see him panicking. You never see him losing his mind, right? You don't see those things because Jesus always knew what to do. He knew what the right thing to do was. And if we have the mind of Christ because of our connection to Christ, therefore we can always ask God, God, what do you want me to do? How should I handle this? Give me wisdom, Father. And we can be confident that we can have the same mind of Christ. So check this out. Jesus is in a boat, right? And there's a big storm and it's rocking and waves are crashing. And Jesus is sleeping in the boat. And what's everybody else doing? Freaking out. They're scared. They're running crazy. They're trying to do everything in their own strength. But what does Jesus do? He gets up, speaks to the wind and waves, and it settles down. He didn't panic. Or another time, Jesus' close friend, Lazarus, has just died. And he's been dead for four days. And Jesus shows up in his hometown four days after the guy's dead. And everybody's weeping and wailing and carrying on. And Jesus says, well, where's the body? Where'd you, where'd you put him? And they walk there. Jesus doesn't panic. He just says, roll the stone away. And people freak out. They're like, uh... Jesus, I'm not sure if you're aware of this, but this is the Middle East. It is hot. And it's been four days, and there's going to be a stench. This is actually in the Bible. It's very cool. You should read it. And so it's right there, and everybody freaks out about it, but not Jesus. Jesus just says, Lazarus, come forth. And he does. And then you hear about it twice. It it happens two times. Once Jesus is teaching a crowd of 5,000 men, and once he's teaching a crowd of 4,000 men, and then the verses, and these, they, they say, plus women and children. And somehow, there's no food. Now, I would believe that if the Bible just said there were 5,000 men. But is there any woman in this room that goes anywhere without seven packs of fruit snacks and some granola bars in her purse? So how these people ended up with... 5,000 people on the side of a hill with zero mom snacks. I, I don't know. But somehow this occurs, and then there's one boy, right? And, and he's, got, he's got the mom with, you know, the brains going on, who knew, I don't want you to go in front of Jesus and get all hangry. So she sent some fish and some loaves to keep that from happening. And the disciples go, that's not enough. They're freaking out. What are we going to do? Panic, fear, stress. They're running scenarios. It's going to take a year's wages to feed these people. How are we going to survive? And Jesus is like, calm down. Just calm. No reason to be afraid. We have the mind of Christ. And so if Jesus could sit in a circumstance or a situation and know what to do, so can you. 
If Jesus could stare down a complicated dilemma like who should we pay taxes, give to Caesar what's his, give to God. If Jesus could come up with this stuff and the scriptures say we have the mind of Christ, then friends, we can tap into that same wisdom any time we want. We have three weapons. We have power, we have love, and we have a sound mind. And with those things, we can defeat any fear that comes against us. I'd like to invite everyone to stand to their feet. And, and I want to pray. Let's put 1 Timothy 1.7 back up on the screen. And I want us to pray these things into our lives. For God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of power, of love, and a sound mind. So God, in the name of Jesus, we pray right now that you would impart to each of us the same power that rose Christ from the grave. Renew it within us. We already possess it. Strengthen it within us. Help us to grab hold of it and, and apply it in our lives in those moments where we need. Help us to feel and sense a renewed sense of your love for us, of our belonging to you, of recognizing that we are in you. And God, we ask that you would give us the same mind, the same wisdom that you imparted to your son Jesus, that you imparted to this group of people on a daily basis. As we come to you every day for our daily bread, that you would give us these things, power, love, and a sound mind. And because of that, in the name of Jesus, we bind a spirit of fear. We render it useless. In Jesus' name, you have no power and no authority in the lives of these children of God. We cast you away. Lord, we ask you to fill us to overflowing with your Holy Spirit and all the fruits that come with that. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Well, church family, we love you very much and we'll see you next Sunday morning. Thanks for listening to this week's message at Fellowship Church. If you have not made Jesus Christ your Lord and Savior, I wanna give you the opportunity to do that right now. The Bible says in the book of Romans, if you declare with your mouth, Jesus is Lord, and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved, Romans 10, 9. You can do that right now. I just want to encourage you to pray this prayer with me. Dear Jesus, I am a sinner and I need forgiveness. Please forgive me of my sins. I believe that you are Lord, that you died on the cross for my sins, and that you rose again. And God, I thank you for that. I ask you now to be my Savior, to guide my life, and to give me a home forever in heaven. And God, I ask you this, in your precious Son, Jesus Christ's name, amen. If you just prayed this prayer for the first time, or if you need prayer, we would love to hear from you. You can contact us at 970-245-PRAY or at prayer at fellowshipgj.com. Thanks again. We hope to see you next week.